0: Hi, this is Designing Yourself. I'm Paul McAleer.
1: And I'm Whitney Hess. And as usual, Paul and I have already been talking (laughs) about the topic that we want to talk about today. Um, We get to a point in our conversation where we're noodling on what we're going to talk about, and then we start talking about it, and they're like, Damn it, why haven't we been recording this?
0: (laughs) Yeah, we don't know. You know, the jumping off point is always a hard thing, right? Because we start talking about various things. And then Whitney, usually it's Whitney who just says, Yeah, we should start recording
1: (laughs) because everything's so good. So, (laughs) what we have been talking about already today, and what we want to keep talking about, is the topic of striving. Now, for me, this is something that I have been turning over my mind. For a very long time, in fact, ironically enough, I have been striving to not strive for a very long time. Um, My kind of whole upbringing was centered on my parents ingraining in me a really strong work ethic that I carried through school and college and grad school and when I started my career and I always felt like the intention behind everything I was doing was to make a great effort to achieve something that was bigger than what I already had or that was somehow um, an indicator of greater success to constantly be on this trajectory of more and more and more success. However you want to define success and for a long time I defined success as how much money you make, and then over time came to realize that there was really never enough. Like It was never enough, it never felt satisfying, and that was a very challenging feeling, in fact, more challenging than the pride or whatever in having achieved something. So I guess the last few years that I have been on a sort of spiritual journey, a lot of the messages that I've been receiving especially from the Buddhist tradition, is that striving is one of the causes of suffering. And so now I'm in this place where I'm trying to figure out how to not strive, but yet my striving tendencies are still coming into play. So I'm like trying to, I'm trying really, really, really hard (laughs) to not try so hard. Um, It's kind of ridiculous. So are you a striver, Paul?
0: So that's a great question. Um, I had a slightly different upbringing than you. And in that I was fortified with this idea that I am super smart and talented and things should come easy to me, which is a very different place to be than work hard and success will come. And that for me, you know, looking at it from my perspective now, I was that was a very difficult road to go down especially given I'm a white male and I already have a shit ton of privilege already <laughs> um so what I don't know
1: what you're talking about
0: <laughs> no not at all um so that that being out there though um so that that kind of though set me up for this scenario where i occasionally started to think about and really think about in context of career this idea that yes i should strive for something greater in part because in part because i deserve it right so there was that i deserve it type of mentality too like i deserve to be a ux director because i've done this and that and the other and that's the title i should have now i've been in my career for x years and i would justify it in so many ways but what i've found recently is that that hasn't really been as satisfying as i had wanted it to be Right. It's kind of, you know, it it reminds me of this whole, um, this whole idea of packing and moving, which I'll get to in a minute. You know, it's very similar to that. Um, Am I a striver? Uh, So here's the thing. I always want to do a good job at something. Right. I always want to do a very good job and put my best effort into it. And I don't know if that is a little different than is that a little different than striving?
1: Maybe. I think there's, uh, you know, shades of gray here, so to speak. I think that wanting to do your best and wanting to give your best has a lot of different intentions behind it. I guess the question is, why do you want to do your best?
0: Oh, that's a great question. So I want to do it. uh, So so I'd like to do my best because uh, I feel that will best benefit the situation. Right. Because if I'm not fully present in what's going on, I'm not really giving all of myself, then what am I doing? You know, what's what's distracting me or taking me away from from what I should be doing uh, in that moment or with that project or with that situation or whatever it is. Right. That that to me, I guess another thing to add is that to me is a matter of being present and it always comes back to that. Right. So if I'm if I'm fully present, then I am giving my best.
1: See, I think that's very different from striving, at least in my definition of it, where you are always trying to give your best because of the benefit that you will receive in return, Mm -hmm. because it will make you look good with your coworkers, because you'll get that raise or that promotion, because your ego requires the praise rather than what it sounds like is innate to you, which is doing your best because it's right for the greater good it benefits everyone else and I think that very that's very different from striving at least I've never really thought about striving in the sense of um, putting a tremendous amount of effort into benefiting other people I don't know if I'd call that striving as much and maybe therefore there is some kind of egocentric aspect of the striving, at least as I relate to it.
0: And I want to make something clear, too. It's not like every situation I go into, I'm always thinking about the non-egocentric situation. I mean, there are absolutely times when I go into something and I think about how it's going to benefit me first. That absolutely happens. I am human. Uh, (laughs) I do not go into every single situation and say, well, I'm doing this just because it's good for everybody else, right? There are definitely, definitely times when the ego drives or comes in first and is like, oh, this is going to be awesome because you will get blank. You will get recognized. You will get money. You will get a promotion. You will get something, right? That happens too. That is there too. I think the hard part for me is, is, (laughs) as it always is for me, is being in the gray area. Right. Where sometimes, yes, my ego will want to drive these things and does. And then there are other times when my ego does not want to drive or rather <laughs> or rather my sense of self ends up being so very strong that I'm able to access that first in lieu of accessing my ego first, which is really easy to tap into. My ego's super easy to tap into.
1: But what you're describing, I'm sure, has taken quite a bit of practice in order to cultivate. I don't think that that's something that many of us have a choice in. It's like there's the ego in full force, rearing its ugly head, totally taking over the situation. And rarely do we have the presence of mind. And I'm speaking for myself, so I don't want to speak for anybody else Mm -hmm. out there. Rarely do I have the presence of mind to say, oh, look at that. My ego's out of control. I have a choice in this matter. Let me act in a certain way. That's something that I would love to have more of, and it's something that I've worked very hard to try to cultivate. But it certainly isn't where I would like it to be. <laughs> um, thus, the striving, the striving for the non-striving, comes in again. And, and I think, honestly, even when you have practiced a lot, as you said we're human. So those things do pop up and maybe there are certain triggers when the ego is in, you know, more command than others. Do you find that to be the case?
0: I, I think so. I mean, one of the things that I come back to is this example of like uh, the example of writing a book, right? So I had put out and really entertained this idea of writing a book probably only last year. And I've started some work on it. And it's 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 tough for me to say that because there's a part of me that wants to be very uh, noncommittal to it in the event that it doesn't happen. But then my ego is also totally present as like, yes, I'm writing this book for me, because this is something I want to do. And it's going to get me you know, I actually don't know what it's going to get me. Fame? Maybe. Notoriety? Maybe. Respect? Eh, possibly. But there's also the part of me that's very interested in knowing what the audience looks like and who they are and what they need and saying, oh, I need to deliver on what they want and need in order to write something that's really good. So it really, you know, it, it, it it's kind of a hard place to be. And I think it really does matter, you know, it does vary, excuse me, on a day-to-day basis. There are days when I wake up and I'm like, Hell yeah, my ego going to drive all day today and I'm going to do everything for me, 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 me. And it's great. And uh, my ego loves it. But then there are other days when it's totally not in that direction at all. And that varies even within those days, too. And what it, what it's really come down to for me is is just having, first of all, just having the awareness that it's not me making those choices. It's me, my ego, right? Yes, it's a part of me. Absolutely. It's multiple parts of me, maybe. But it's not myself just saying, you know, yes, this is going to be the way it goes. It is a part of me. And if I acknowledge that, then that's kind of the first step, right? It's knowing, okay, cool. Now I can make an informed decision about it, or at least, you know, go with it if I want to, or, or steer away from it if I want to do that as well. And not just kind of give in all the time to the ego.
1: Absolutely. And yet at the same time, when I hear you say that you, you underneath it all really want what you offer to the audience to be driven by what they need. I don't know if it's your personality to do this, but the way that I hear it is there's a striving in that too. Like, I really want to deliver on what they need. I'm going to be fiercely determined to figure out who my audience is, what their problems are and how I can solve for them. And I'm going to make sure that I communicate that as clearly as possible. And I'm going to organize the book in a way that's the easiest for them to absorb. And it's going to have the right flow. And, and there's, um, just a lot of wanting in that. There's a lot of, um, I don't really know what the right word is, but, but a lot of hope, a lot of, um, needing it to be right, needing it to work out well, needing it to be successful. And Mm -hmm. I have the type of personality where I often don't do things in the first place unless I'm sure I can be successful at them. Mm -hmm. I have a really hard time doing stuff that I have no, I have like total, um, lack of confidence that it will succeed or that i have no need for it to succeed or not and so there's like a grasping and i guess i i guess i associate that word grasping with striving it's an attachment it's like a holding on where i am going to do this and i'm holding on so desperately that i need it to be successful Um, I need it to work. I need it to land with other people. I need other people to appreciate it. I need it to um, be talked about or to be shared or whatever those outcomes are, whatever those measures of success are, there is, for me, such a strong grasping in having it work out the way I want it to or the way I envisioned it would, and that's very tied into the striving for me because it's an attachment to how things are going to work out. It's an attachment to a future state. And I often find that when I let go of that, when I just allow it to be whatever it's going to be, when I'm not trying to have something or acquire something that I don't already have, but I'm just expressing myself. I find that most of the time, if not all of the time, the final result is far beyond what I ever could have anticipated, whatever I, whatever I could have imagined, and that maybe the forcefulness around making it into this future state that I imagine can turn it into that future state. I have a good success rate, but maybe it could have been so much more. It could have been so much more meaningful, and I would have enjoyed the process of creating it so much more because I would have been focused on the moment when I was creating it rather than hopelessly focusing on what would come of it in the future, and I think that gets back to your comment on presence. Um, I actually have a (laughs) a Eckhart Tolle calendar at home. Frederick and I put it up um, at home and it's a monthly calendar and so we get a different photo and quote from him every month it sounds so cheesy now that I'm (laughs) saying it out loud (laughs) um but we're big big fans of Eckhart Tolle the power of now really started us on a big journey a few years ago and so anyway
0: we, yeah, yeah, same here.
1: Right. <laughs> not bought, a few
0: years ago, though. I'm still reading it.
1: <laughs> we, bought, we bought an Eckhart Tolle calendar. <laughs> and um, last month's quote, and I'm going to get it wrong, despite the fact that I looked at it for 31 days in a row, <laughs> is something to the effect of um, do not focus on the fruits of your labor. Focus simply on the act of doing, and Mm -hmm. the fruit will come of its own accord. Mm. And I associate striving with that. Striving is a pre... um, What's the word? An obsession, almost. A, A preoccupation, was the word I was thinking of, with what will come of the act, what the results will be, how it's going to impact people, what I'm going to get out of it, how it's going to be accepted into the universe, rather than focusing on the act itself. And so I'm wondering, in the case of your book, because you care so much about presence and cultivating presence is a big part of your life, how are you keeping yourself focused on the work that you have to do today and just being there with the work rather than allowing your mind go off into what's going to come of it? Or are you?
0: <laughs> so the short answer is sometimes I don't do the work because it's so scary. Mm. Um, so that's part one. And that's an admission. Um The other is the other part of it, though, is the old getting things done saw. Right. So if people, you know, have have Uh, heard my talk or you know read anything i've written within the past probably year or two i've talked about the old getting things done method by david allen and it was even on the podcast probably about umpteen times i know with gina terpani it was um but the whole idea with that is is just breaking something down into smaller chunks right so it's it's a matter of you know um i don't necessarily have a project for write a book But I might have a multi, you know, a project, which is kind of just a couple steps in a row of, you know, write a first draft outline of your book. And what does that look like? Well, first of all, it's, you know, go into Google Docs and write down a paragraph. And I give myself just a ton of leeway with that, right? Because right now I'm not under any time pressure. I don't have a, I don't have a publisher. I'll probably publish it myself. I don't even know. That's not something I've thought about yet, right? But it's a matter of understanding, you know, what, what is next in that process and even a small small seeming thing can get me progress towards that because now I know that I've started to do some initial research on audiences and I've written an outline and I've written kind of the description of the book and like those are things that I've actually completed and frankly I feel pretty good about that versus just kind of wishing wow I wish I could write a book you know so for me it's being able to do something in a small chunk because those things add up significantly over time um so one one other thing, though, I have to I have to go back to this Eckhart Tolle calendar. Why would that not be just a single sheet of paper that says now on it? <laughs> come on, come on! I'm sorry, I, I couldn't, I could not resist. I'm well, sorry. have
1: you seen Tick Not Hans watch?
0: No, but I, I I bet it's really good.
1: Tick Not Hans watch, where every hand on the watch says now.
0: <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, nice.
1: No, you know, it it is ironic I suppose to have an Eckhart Tolle calendar where you're actually counting down the days or watching the days go by and his whole notion is that's really just a human construct and the only time that exists is right now there is no such thing as the past there is no such thing as the future no longer exists it's just right now Mm -hmm. Um, but isn't it interesting how something that supposedly doesn't exist um, Occupies so much of our waking
0: and oh, goodness, dreaming thought. Yes. Oh goodness! And you know, one of the things that you mentioned too, another uh, another parallel I can draw is to writing. I'm sure you can too, because when it comes to writing, you know, there's the idea of putting something out there and having an audience. And I'm not even thinking in terms of a book here, but a blog post or a talk or what have you. But you just kind of you kind of get into it and. There's that whole idea of, you know, this is what it's going to be when it's done, and then you do your first edit, and it's crap, and you're just, well... Sometimes my first edits are really good, but, but usually it's not that good. Um, and, and then it's a matter of that disconnect between something you put out there or are starting to put out there and you're like, wow, this is not what I expected it to be. Or you start writing on a topic and then something else comes up altogether and you find that is the richer and more interesting thing to you. And you're like, oh, I can write for, you know, an hour on this instead. And that's really fascinating. And that, that is what is, uh, basically something that can come our way if we're more open to what we're doing in that moment. you know it's that that ballyhooed and and overused word like being you know being a craftsperson or something like that, right where you're just putting a lot of effort and and attention and care into what you're doing in that moment um, and in the uh, in the service of making something bigger, right? And sure, you know, I would imagine that if you're a carpenter and you want to build a bookshelf, it might be weird to build a sofa instead, if that's what the plan (laughs) is, right? But... Like if that is your plan to build a bookshelf and, and et cetera, then a sofa comes out. Well, that might be a little strange, but but then you made a sofa. Um, but there's still that experience of going through that process and that journey. And it's very different than, you know, taking an order and selling it. And I, I, I kid just a little bit. But I think part of it, though, is really just this notion of once you're in something, you... You can get into a zone of flow and working on it and be open to what could happen next and be inspired by just what's happening now versus the plan of I'm going to have, you know, a 10 slide PowerPoint deck to present on Friday, you know, or what have you. What if it ends up being 12 slides? Is that going to be the end of the world? Probably not. Or, you know, I gave a presentation um on uh, a findings report last week and originally my understanding it was going to be I was going to have 20 minutes of time I ended up having five. And I was like, well, okay I mean I, I just had to improvise and cut it down to the bone and say like this is what you need to know I have five minutes here is everything you need to know and there's nothing else. There's no filler So, you know if I had prepared for 20 and envisioned always it was going to be 20 without that ability to just know that stuff to a degree where I could improvise, well, shoot, I'd be striving for something that wasn't there anymore.
1: Absolutely. And I think what you're getting at that when you're in a state of flow, when you're truly focused on the present moment, there is no need to strive because there is nothing better you could possibly attain than what you're attaining right now. That's at least my experience with writing. Writing is the thing for me and it always has been the thing that when I am If they're in the zone with the page in front of me and things are just coming out onto the page, there is nowhere else I'd rather be. There is nothing else I need in life. I don't need any more money. I don't need any more things. I don't need any more space. I don't need any more friends, clients. I need nothing. (laughs) I'm not hungry. I am not anything but perfect. I feel perfect. And there's... An aspect to striving which is indicating to yourself you're less than perfect. You need something else in order to feel whole. And when I'm writing, when I'm really in the zone, I feel whole. I feel like I could do this forever and never, ever stop. Because everything I need in life is being given to me in this very moment. Because it's a lot less about having than it is about being, I am truly being in those moments that I'm writing. However, in the time leading up to when I begin writing, I am in major striving mode and in many ways it gets in my, gets in my way. It doesn't let me get to the page as soon as I should have. It keeps me away from writing. I get all these ideas in my head about what the writing is going to turn into, who's going to see it, what it's going to mean to them, what it's going to mean for me, what it's going to change in my life. Like All these really impossible notions, constructs, hopes, uh, fears, everything is swirling in me in the time leading up to the writing. And in the first moments of writing as well, it probably takes some time for it to, you know, get out of me. It's like toxins that I have to somehow get rid of. Mm -hmm. Then I'm in perfection, happiness, contentment, all of the wonderful things in life wrapped up into one. And then to, I come to a point of completion, and it could be in that same session, or it could be that I've come back to it 10 times, but at some point, I'm at a point of completion. Now, that striving rears its ugly head again. It's like, okay, well now, what's going to happen with this, and who's going to see it, and what is it going to mean, and is this only for me, or is this for other people? And if it's for other people, is it going to meet their needs, and how is it going to impact them, and blah, 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 blah. I go into... crazy space and as I was mentioning earlier about kind of when you don't strive things have a way of having an even greater impact or greater success than you would have had had you been aiming for something um with my writing when I publish something with the hope of it having a particular outcome like I want this to really make people think. I want to start a conversation. I want to challenge something that someone else is talking about. I wanna really agitate people. Like whatever it is that my, you know, my intention is or my aim at the point of publishing it, almost hundred percent of the time the post falls totally flat. Like no one cares, no one reads it, it means nothing to no one. And I'm like Damn, I really thought that was good, you know? (laughs) I really thought that was good. I really thought that had something to it. The things that I've written where I have no idea what I'm going to write before I sit down, I have no um, care in the world about what it's going to result in. And I write it in one fell swoop. I hardly reread it, maybe just for misspelling some punctuation but in terms of content I'm I'm like well I'm not trying to achieve anything so it doesn't matter if I change anything here because there is no better or worse and then I publish it with no intention of any kind and kind of not even caring if anybody sees it because the act of publishing it was just the bow around the gift that I gave myself for writing it in the first place, just for being in the writing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Those things, whether they're blog posts or articles or essays or whatever, those things have, I've found, significantly more impact. And so that's when when I am come to this realization is when I get to the place of striving to not strive. Because now I'm like, ooh, if I really want to have big impact, I need to not strive. But then that's defeating the purpose. I'm still striving. So it's almost like a non-attachment to any outcome whatsoever. And I wonder, is that possible?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's Do you think possible? that's possible? Uh, I'm not sure because I can't think about that outcome. Um, <laughs> wah, wah. So... Um, you know, it is possible, but then it's a matter of what kind of stuff are you focusing on, right? So if you, if you go, gosh, I'm going to think in works in in work mode first for a minute here and think about like, if you are working on something with, um, with, with other people in one space, like you're doing true honest to goodness, capital C collaboration, right? You might have an end goal in mind that you have to meet, or you might just say, you know what, we're going to get some smart people together and figure this shit out. Um, and I mean, commonly, you know, the the old adage is, you know, when when you're working in client services too, people will come to you and say, well, we need a website, and then you think about it for a little while, and you do your research, and you're like, eh, actually, you know what, you don't need a website, and even that is a very basic example of, you know, somebody coming in with a predetermined outcome, and then coming to you and saying, you know what, actually, you need to maybe not focus on your website right now like you, should, you need to do this this and this and this first and then we can figure out about the website because that makes the most sense for you right so not necessarily you know not necessarily going in and saying like oh I'm always going to say there's you know an opportunity to change the outcome or not um, to go in being totally mindful and say that whatever outcome happens yeah it'll happen I think there are times when that is a little more realistic and there are times when well if you know you have to do something on a certain date, generally deadline-driven stuff, right? Then, then you kind of have to. But I guess there's always the possibility of of being flexible with yourself. You know, one of the things that um, I want to touch on quickly here is this idea of, um, you know, the idea of striving and and stuff, right? Because we we started our discussion talking a little about like careers and titles and and you know, I'm going through. Um, I'm going through a move now and anybody who's gone through a move knows that it it ends up being like, you have all this stuff in boxes and you're like, what am I doing with this stuff? Um, And you start to question why you have it in the first place. And it comes down to, you know, questioning just about everything. Like, there's some things that are more essential than others, right? Do I need to have a copy of my high school yearbook from 1993? Uh, realistically, probably not. It's from a high school that I don't enjoy revisiting very much. So <laughs> it's like, you know, do I really need to hold on to that and just carry it around and keep it in a box in the attic for another 5, 10, 20, 40 years? Probably not. But then I also think about this idea when it comes to clothing, right? Right. Um, because odds are pretty high almost all of us, including myself, have some things in our closet that actually don't fit us at all, either too big or too small. And we're like, oh, you know, we'll just just hold on to it. And then, you know, because I might be bigger or I might be smaller someday, right? And then when we go in our closets, well, what kind of emotions do those things bring up, right? And And for me, I found that if I had something in my closet that made me feel bad to wear it, Well, that was bad for me, in part because of body stuff that I've been working on for the past 20 years or so. But, you know, it was was not a good situation to be like, wow, I actually can't wear that. And I see it every day when I go in my closet. So for me, like that was almost striving for something that was not real and did not exist anymore or might not exist in the future because I don't know. I mean, for clothing, it's a matter of like, hey, this is the stuff that fits me now. It, It looks good or at least looks really good, maybe, if I'm, if I'm feeling really good about it, but you know, it's stuff that I can wear now. And it's just, you know, it's just kind of being realistic and editing that stuff down too. It's all stuff.
1: It's all stuff. And what you're touching on is this idea that striving is a cause of suffering. Mm -hmm. That when we tell ourselves there is this item that I have, that if I just try hard enough I will eventually fit into it, or it will eventually look good on me, or I need to keep this until I achieve something. Every single time you see it, you are causing yourself suffering. And Mm -hmm. we stay in a state of suffering when we're striving. And I think that there's um, a fear in not striving that will become lazy or complacent or um, wasteful, or um, detached. Yeah, what's the opposite of attachment? Detached. Sure. And in our society, that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable to be aloof and to be, um, you know, non-contributing. That's the message that we get. And I think there is a deep-seated fear that if we just stop trying, that we will simply cease to exist. Like, just throw out the clothes that don't fit. Stop trying to get into those clothes because it's just causing you more suffering and you're not really ever going to achieve it anyway. Throw it out. And if you happen to get to a different weight, good for you. You can go out and buy new clothes. You're not going to want that old thing anyway because it will forever represent a time when you couldn't fit into it. Mm -hmm. So I love that you're bringing that up in terms of – Striving, and I'm also reminded, because you use the phrase to be flexible with ourselves, I am currently taking an eight-week course on self-compassion, mindful self-compassion, actually, and this is a topic and a conversation for another time. I'm sure we'll delve into it at some point, but the part of it that I was just reminded of is that Many people, myself included, go into a course on mindful self-compassion determined to be self-compassionate by the end of it.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, yes.
1: I'm going to take this every course. I paid a few hundred bucks. I am going to do all the homework. I'm going to do all the readings. I'm going to do all the meditations. I'm going to be early to class. And I, am by hell or high water, I will be self-compassionate by the end of this <laughs> class. <laughs> And one of the things that the instructors shared with us last week was to let go of that because obviously, maybe to some and less obviously to others, um, it gets in the way of actually achieving self-compassion is to be so determined to be self-compassionate. And one of the instructors said there are three stages to this class and perhaps three stages to... Any kind of learning or change. The first is striving, where we have an intention of why we got ourselves there in the first place. What did we want to learn? What do we want to change in our lives? How did we want things to be different? The second stage is disillusionment. Mm-hmm. When we've been grasping at something and not getting the outcomes that we expected, We then just say, well, this is obviously not going to work. This is stupid. This is just woo-woo. Whoever said this was going to work was wrong. They were lying to me, false advertising. I'm not capable of this. All the different things that we tell ourselves that are indicators of total disillusionment. But then there's a third stage. And they actually said around this time, because we're halfway through the course, they're like, we want to see that you're experiencing disillusionment. Why? Mm. Because it means that you're past the striving stage. So that's a good sign. So noticing yourself the disillusionment and keep going forward. Keep practicing every day because that's a good sign. Because what comes after disillusionment is stage three, true acceptance. And I love that. And it gives me chills right now even thinking about it, that once you give up striving There's a grieving period, essentially, of the not making an effort anymore and not being, you know, trying to exert our control over the outcome. And there's a real loss, a sense Mm -hmm. of loss. And I associate that with the disillusionment. But once we go through that loss and we allow ourselves to process it, on the other side, just like on the other side of the grieving process, is acceptance. And things just are the way they are. There's no need to try to make them any different. There's no, there's no stake in anything being different. It just, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is the world as it is. This is my life as it is. And there's something so freeing about that. And I see that as kind of the opposite of suffering. It's just a matter of practicing presence every day, as you put it so that you can allow yourself to go through that stages. But that, that for me, is something that I find to be a real challenge and is still something that I need to practice every day and will very likely be something I'll have to practice for the rest of my life.
0: Oh, yeah, this is hard stuff, and it's not instantly done. And I, I think one thing that's worth noting there with that beautiful um, idea of that, that process, I mean, I love that as well, is that when you get to the other side, when you're in acceptance, that's not you know, that's not necessarily a place of, of of sadness nor happiness, right? It is what it is, right? And really that grieving process, that letting go of what could be, is a grieving process. that is That tends to be pretty sad when you have this idea of how things are going to be or what you envision them to be and they are not that way. That, in me at least, that leads to sadness. And sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big, and sometimes it takes, in some cases, years to get over. And other times it's like two minutes. But on the other side of it, it really is a matter of okay, this is what is actually the reality that I'm in at this moment. And this is the situation. And how can I apply myself right now to what's going on uh, versus, you know, pretending and not pretending, that's, that's a little harsh, but hanging on to this idea of something that is not going to be. Love it.
1: And what you just said made me realize something that I don't know that I've considered before, which is acceptance is a place where you don't need to strive because everything's already all right.
0: So Yeah, everything's okay. Everything's good right
1: now. Everything's exactly as it's supposed to be. You don't need anything else to fill the void. There is no void. Everything is right, and you don't have to make it right. It just is right. That's right. And you get to roll around in that. So, yeah, I think uh, I'm going to let go. I'm going to try. Okay. Keep trying.
0: All right. I love it. Well, Whitney, this has been another fantastic conversation. Thanks yeah. for speaking with me. And we will, of course, talk again very soon.
1: I always love chatting with you, Paul. Um, thank you for always helping me see another side of things that I'm struggling with or considering. I really appreciate your perspective all the time.
0: On um, The same, same to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Our thanks this week to our transcript sponsor, RightPoint. RightPoint is a digital agency specializing in user research, custom UX, and creative for brands. Headquartered in Chicago, RightPoint also has offices in Denver and Detroit and provides their services throughout the country. For more information, visit rightpoint.com.